Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, please welcome, all the way from the front living room, your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 33 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. And today we have a treat for you, but actually we had a treat for you last week as well, didn't we? Yep. Because last week we did an interview with the amazing Reverend Lionel Fanthorpe. And if you haven't had listened to that episode yet, then please do have a look at episode 32. Lionel Fanthorpe telling us all about the mysteries that he has investigated with his wife, Patricia. Yes, and if you're interested in maybe, kind of, sort of, buried treasure... Yeah, the Oak Island stuff is mentioned. Also, he talked about the coffins that move... And a time warp sort of thing too, wasn't it? And a time slip that happened here in the UK as well, which was quite recent. So do check out that podcast if you haven't already. But this week we've got something special for you as well, because this week we've got two guests with us today. We'll be crossing the pond twice. The first is with a lady who runs a blog and also who has some pretty interesting guests. Yeah, (laughs) guests, housemates, lodgers if you like living with her so that's the first interview that's coming up today and then after the break we've got another interview coming up and that is with a chap by the name of Andrew Bennessy and he has a really really interesting tale to tell us about a hotel that he used to give guided tours in yes and they were haunted oh so you've given it away now Okay, so we're going to get started straight away. We would like to welcome to the podcast a lady who, as I said earlier, runs her own blog. She is married to a chap in the military, which we'll talk about later on, and so she's travelled to another part of the world as well, and she's had experiences there too. She's actually been training other paranormal groups in how to deal with and how to work with spirits. So you'll really enjoy this podcast. Please welcome to the podcast, Kelly. The Paranormal Housewife. Hi. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great. How are y'all doing? We are doing really well, thank you very much. So we really feel like we know you because you've been kind of telling us your story via a web page that you run, via a blog. My blog is called The Paranormal Housewife. Um, Talks about my adventures with the paranormal and ghost hunting and living with spirits. Talking about living, you were in Japan, weren't you? Yes, just moved from there about three weeks ago. So how did you end up in in Japan? Because that is not a Japanese accent. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm a North Carolina girl through and through. My husband is a U.S. Marine, and he was stationed in Iwakuni for the past three years. Wow. And now, yeah, now we're stationed in the middle of Illinois. My house is literally in the middle of a cornfield. Oh, nice. (laughs) <laughs> so did did you see any ghosts or spirits when you were in Japan? Just the ones that we live with. Um, oh, just the ones you live a, with. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we ended up actually adopting one while we were there. It's a uh, possessed lamp that we call Rampu. Then we also have Al that lives with us full time usually. And then my dad likes to pop in. Right. Tell us about them. The Rampu, the one that we adopted, is... Uh, actually a lamp that we got from a Japanese thrift store. My husband fell in love with it because it looked like something that his grandmother had. So we brought it home, had it plugged in for about a week before we both flew back to the States. Um, and the lamp just started going on and off while our pet sitters were there to the point where the pet sitters left our cats. Oh. 
(laughs) Good thing they got nine lives. Yeah. (laughs) But we came back, started uh, trying to investigate, and the name Rampu actually came from an iCarly episode where they're sitting there yelling Rampu, which is Japanese for lamp, uh, (laughs) at a lamp. And it actually responded. So we were like, okay, it must be Japanese that's attached to it. Um, But it likes to come on and off randomly. Uh, It'll start turning like a disco light when we're watching a horror movie in the living room with it. Um, (laughs) That's going to be disconcerting. (laughs) It's kind of funny. It likes to play jokes on us like that. My husband, who's an electrician for the Marine Corps, he's actually looked at it and there's no issues with the wiring. So... It's interesting. Um, another spirit that we have is Al. He was not happy to be in Japan because he was actually killed during World War II by a kamikaze pilot. Mm. Um, he was, yeah, his name is Alexander Gordon Taylor from Pennsylvania, and he was on the USS Rawl. And the USS Rawl was off the coast of Okinawa when a kamikaze pilot crashed into it. And the interesting thing with him is... That ship um, was brought back to Charleston, sold for scraps, and I guess he stayed attached to part of the scraps, and the scraps were actually used to build part of the USS Iwo Jima, which launched 20 years to the day that the pilot crashed into the USS Rowell. And my dad served on the USS Iwo Jima when it first launched. And according to Al, am I allowed to curse? You can do whatever you want. We've got an explicit <laughs> rating. You go for it. <laughs> okay. I don't know if y'all have ever played with an ovelus or not, but that's what we used to talk to Al with. And according to Al, my dad was a crazy asshole. And asshole is not one of the words programmed into the ovelus. <laughs> and <laughs> so Al wanted to protect my dad and attached himself to a ring, which my dad gave to me probably 10 years, 12 years ago. And so that's how I started getting to know Al, except when I first started hanging out with Al, I didn't know his name was Al. We were, me and my roommate called him George for some reason. It wasn't until I got an ovulus and was actually talking to him that I found out who he was and what his story was. Like he's actually, he told us about the USS Rail. He told us his name. He told us Pennsylvania. He, he actually makes almost sentences with the ovulus. He comes through so clearly. So can you explain, for the for people that don't know, can you explain what that piece of equipment is and how it works? An ovulus, it's, um, it's a type of spirit box, but it's pre-programmed with, I want to say, either 25,000 words or 250,000 words, and spirits are able to manipulate it to actually use those words to speak and usually it's only a weird a word or two and that's about it and sometimes it can be kind of random with Al we know it's him because he'll use like four or five words at a time and it's almost a sentence every time and it's just the way that he he communicates through it that we can pick up on the speech patterns that it's him um, versus somebody if we're picking up another spirit it may just be one or two random words and then be quiet for a little while. Is that the piece of equipment that you use? There's on your blog, there's a YouTube clip, I believe, of you talking to your father? No, that's 
That's talking to Al, actually, yes. Oh, it was, so, is it? Right, okay. And so it com- comes through as quite a, a sort of uh, metallic-y sort of voice, doesn't it? Yes. That's the one, that's what we're talking about. Right, okay. For our listeners, you will find out the web address to this blog later on, and we really do recommend you go and have a look at it, because uh, not only are you going to get the story from start to finish, you're also going to be able to watch these YouTube clips and, and listen to the things that we're discussing today. So stay tuned for the information later on of how to get onto that blog. Sorry to butt in there, uh, Kelly. Oh, it's fine. So you managed to communicate with Al. He told you about the ship and the kamikaze incident. You said he called your dad a, a, a naughty word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Was this someone your dad had previously mentioned to you or did he mention that ship to you in the past? So was it verified in some way or? It wasn't verified until we started getting the information through the Ovilus and then I was actually able to research it. Um, I actually found a book written by one of his shipmates and I apologize, I'm blanking on the name of it now and it's stuck somewhere in our shipment that's still <laughs> trying to arrive. It actually had a list of the dead. And it listed Alexander Gordon Taylor, which is the exact name we got through the Ovilus. Wow. And I was able to actually go through other records like Ancestry.com and find out that he's from Philadelphia, or not Philadelphia, he's from Pennsylvania, just like my father. That's another reason why he was attached to my father was it reminded him so much of himself. Does it scare you to know that these spirits are you know, around you. I mean, it must be strange when you want to do stuff at home and you kind of want to be private. They don't, but that's also how I was raised is that, I mean, I'm half Cherokee. So my parents, especially my dad, who was always telling me if something happened to hear a noise or you see something, you need to acknowledge it and treat it like it's a living person because it's somebody coming to check on you or trying to tell you something. He said never to be afraid of them. Because if I was going to, say, go to the bathroom or something, I I really wouldn't want anything to be sort of, you know... I don't think they're interested in you going (laughs) to the bathroom, but... Well, I know, but, you know, there's a door on them for a reason, right? So, I mean, it's... It's funny, actually, because there are cases in the past of people actually being sat on the toilet, and they do have (laughs) incidents happening. There has been recordings of that. I would just feel... Like you don't really have privacy in your own home, or do you sometimes say, "In leave us alone a while"? Or we do acknowledge them and then ask them to leave. Like if my husband's shaving, Al will start knocking on the mirror, and my husband will be like, "Good morning, Al. Can I just have some time to myself?" And the knocking stops and goes away. Wow. That must be amazing. <laughs> so you you said that you met your husband. Your husband's name's Jeremy, if if I remember rightly. Yes. See, I've been reading your blog, man. I've been reading it. I really, I appreciate it. <laughs> so, so tell us the story about how you met Jeremy then. One of the things that I was doing um, is I was actually traveling around a bit and training some different paranormal teams. And I was training a team down in Wilmington, North Carolina. And my husband contacted them because his roommates were getting terrified of things that were going on in his house and he needed help. And so the team and I went up there to go investigate a few times. They were having things thrown at them. They had the cabinet doors open and closing, heavy knocks, dark shadows, just you name it. They basically had it. Um, They were getting EVPs, which is recordings of voices or sounds that's not there that you don't hear when you're actually present there. But when you play back a 
camera or a recording, you'll hear the voice. So we were, we went down there and we investigated three different times, found out what happened is one of the roommates brought in an Ouija board and really ticked off the spirits who were already upset because my now husband was actually renovating. Like he had tore out all the carpets and was trying to take out some of the cabinets and they didn't like any of the stuff he was doing. No. Um, it turned out to be the ghost of a Marine from the fifties, his daughter. We don't know if it was his wife or his mistress, but it was the mother of the daughter, but we kept getting conflicting answers, um, on whether it was a wife or the mistress that was there. And they said grandma was buried in the backyard, which we never dug up the backyard to find out if there were bones there or not, but that's probably a good thing. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, it, it was definitely interesting, and we ended up having other teams come in because it was just so much activity in that house that three other teams were able to come and investigate it and get the exact same evidence that we were getting. So I, I've got a question to ask you. I'm sorry, I I'm initially said to you, come on and tell your stories, and now I've just got a million questions I want to ask you. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sure there are people like myself who have lost family members, loved ones, etc. Is there any way or any reason why you think that maybe some people come through and some people don't? Is it down to the person who's receiving the message, i.e. how sensitive the person who wants to see them are? Or do you think that in some way it's down to the ghost themselves and the power that they may have or not have in terms of getting through? Personally, I think it's kind of a combination of both. I mean, some people are more open to it than others. And then you've also got to think about the person's personality beforehand. Um, I know that some of my relatives, I think they've come by to say, Hey, but in real life, when they were living, we really didn't talk or communicate that much. So they may just be popping in to check in on me. Whereas my dad, he knows that I miss him. So he definitely made his presence known whenever he came to visit. Yeah. So, I think it's just a combination. And I think by the sound of it, from your upbringing, your dad was obviously very open to the idea of the spirit world, etc. So presumably he kind of was coming from a maybe a standpoint, if you like, of, of already believing and already maybe knowing that you would be okay with getting contact and not freak out like maybe other people might. Oh yeah. We, I mean, when he was living and stuff, we always sit there and say, if one of us went first, that you got to come back and let us know you're okay. And he's visited me. He's visited my sister. I don't know if he's visited my mom yet or not. My mother is dead. She's been dead for quite some time now. I can't say that she comes and visits me when I'm awake, but I do have dreams that are distinctly different than normal dreams and the first time that happened I said why are you here you're you're supposed to be dead this was obviously my dream and she said well sometimes you get to come back you know let people know that you're that you're okay and then I said well what is it like where you are what's it like and she said she wasn't allowed to tell does that mean anything to you are there things you think that there's a limit to what they can and can't do if they're visiting you I don't know if there's a limit or not but I mean her version of heaven or wherever she's at may be different than what my father is experiencing right now 
And that may be why she can't share because she doesn't want you to get your mindset into what it's going to be like when you pass away. And then you get there and you're like, well, this isn't what my mom said. And I am in hell. I was listening to uh, another interview a little while ago, and it was actually a scientist that was being interviewed. And he said that his belief in the afterlife was because they asked him from the standpoint of a scientist, you know, where, where do you sit on life after death, et cetera, et cetera. And he said the usual thing that scientists say, well, you know, it could be, you know, the, the brain reacting in a certain way when people die in terms of near-death experiences, et cetera. But then he said something which I thought was really poignant and, and actually I think kind of answered a lot of my questions. And that was that, he said, when you sleep, for instance, your body is now no longer, obviously it's ticking over, the heart's beating, you know, the brain's functioning, circulation, etc., etc. But he said that really your body is switched off so that you don't react to your dreams. I, I, some people obviously kick out and move their arms and legs, but the majority of your actions are stopped because you're in this unconscious state. But you're mind your subconscious etc etc is is carrying on and can live elsewhere and he said you know in my dreams I can fly and and I can do all of those amazing things but so what he said was that he believes that when you die this spirit or this soul if you like now goes into a state whereby we would think of as as a dream that's not to say it is a dream because obviously the body is dead but the spirit is living on in this state if you dream and you very often have lovely dreams and you believe that heaven is a certain way, then there's a good chance that when your soul is on its own, it can create its own environment, just like we do in a dream, and it can create your heaven. And so you would live for eternity in your heaven. It's not no less than what we think of as ghosts, because it's still an entity outside of the body, but it's not a physical place. It's more of a mental place that you create. And it just made us think of, of yeah. that when you just said what you said in that maybe Bella's mum's heaven is different to what your dad's heaven is, maybe because they create it themselves. What what do you think mm-hmm. about that? I, I, I think that's very close. And I, I like that. If you remember who said it, I would like to look more into that. Yeah, it was Rupert Sheldrake was the, okay. was the guy's name, Rupert Sheldrake. What would you say is the freakiest experience that you've had to deal with? It was part paranormal, part not. (laughs) Um, It was Al playing around with me, and I didn't realize he was goofing off. Occasionally, we take Al with us on investigations because he can actually, we've noticed that if we use him as kind of like a translator almost, we can get more evidence, especially through the obelisk and other things like that, a lot faster and a lot clearer than if we tell Al to just wait at home for us. Mm. Uh, we've like proven it a few different <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how he does it. Uh, but sometimes he likes to take over investigations and head off away from the investigation and talk to him, keep him busy while they're doing the investigation. And one time he was sitting there, he was sitting there saying words like, danger, danger, run. And then, so I'm sitting here walking around in the dark at Ferry Plantation, which is in Virginia Beach. And I'm like starting to get freaked out, which I don't usually do on investigations because he's sitting there telling me, bad, 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 danger, danger. And then all of a sudden it goes, stop. And then it was like quiet for about 30 seconds and it just said, run. 
And at that time I look up and there's this black thing coming through the doorway at me. I screamed like a little girl. Oh, jeez! And the black thing flips off and it turns out to be a friend of mine trying to find some place to sleep. And she happened to grab a black blanket and throw it over her head. Oh, so was she doing and, that uh, to frighten you or was it just, she didn't know I was in there. I, I, Cause I was listening to the office with headphones on. So that way it wouldn't contaminate the other investigation going on. And so it just, it was Al playing with me. He knew that it would scare me. And after like she had flipped it off and was making sure I was okay. I kept getting the word laugh over the obelisk. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's how I realized he was playing a joke on me. So he's definitely got a sense of humor then this chap. Oh yeah. <laughs> would you say that Al is almost taking the role of maybe almost like a guide for you now? Yes. I would. He's been a mediator during an argument that me and my husband were having at the time and was the whole reason we started talking to each other again after the argument when I originally wanted space. Right. Um, yeah, we, I don't even remember what we were arguing about, but I just, I asked Jeremy to leave me alone for a few minutes and I was sitting in the bedroom. I felt the corner of the bed go down. I was like, Al, I'm okay. I just, I would want to be by myself. And about 15 minutes later, Jeremy comes into the room. He's like, is everything okay? And he's like, and I was like, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, no, I'm serious. Because I keep hearing knocks going down the wall. It starts in the living room, and it goes all the way down the wall to the bedroom, and then it starts over again. And I'm like, that's probably Al just telling you to come check on me. He goes, that's what I thought. <laughs> wow. Goodness <laughs> so, me. So Al, Al did not want us to fight <laughs> that day. You have children. No, no, I have cats. <laughs> uh, I just wondered, you know, if you did, would you be as open with them as like your family was when you were young? Yes, definitely. As soon as they're able to understand, I want to start teaching them like my dad taught me because I don't want them to ever be afraid of this. It's I've never run into anything evil or dangerous or scary if I've run into anything that was upset or throwing a temper tantrum, as I, I like to call it, it's they have a reason to be upset, like my husband renovating his house. It's never been demonic or anything like that, and I don't want my children to be scared of the unknown. Do you think that spirits, the ghosts that you've come in contact with because they're not evil, were actual people? Do you think demons would be different then? Oh, that's a good question. So are demons, have demons been people or are they yeah. just spirits that were cast out and have never necessarily been on the earth? That's a good question. I like that. To be honest, I can't answer that because it's something I haven't experienced. Um, I, I've been to places before where people sat there and been like, it's demonic, it's evil. And after sitting and talking, especially with Al helping me um, talk to them and stuff, then... I find out it's something they're doing wrong, like somebody bringing in an Ouija board or somebody trying to provoke them, things like that. So just, they're not evil, they're just angry. Right. Mm. And it's they're just trying to be heard. It's kind of like a toddler who the more you ignore the toddler, the louder they're going to scream and the more they're going to throw things until you give them the attention they need. Yeah. Or, or you don't. <laughs> yeah. No, it's quite interesting it's, because... I think there's there's sort of a, a a certain breed of people and maybe more religious people than other people maybe who 
the minute something happens, they immediately run to demon. You know, it's it's got to be a demon. And, you know, I think, like you said, that not every spirit is, is a demon. You know, not everything. It might frighten you, but you know what? Driving a car for the first time frightens you or, you know, riding a motorbike for the first time frightens you or starting a new job or whatever. It doesn't... Turning on the TV. <laughs> the news. Yeah, turning you know, on the news, that. yeah. But what I'm saying is, is yeah. that there's a lot of things that that may frighten you the first time they happen. But maybe if you give them a little bit of time and and learn about them and you know put the effort in, then yeah. maybe there's nothing to fear. Yeah, and, and that's one thing I actually wanted to say about um, Ouija boards. The reason so many people start having so much activity after they deal with an Ouija board is because you just taught the spirit how to communicate with you. It's not that you didn't do a proper goodbye or anything like that. You sat there and taught a ghost. If they move something, you're going to react. So you may have ended the conversation, but they still want to talk to you. That's why you get things opening and closing or things moving. They're they're trying to continue that conversation with you. You don't think that messing with the Ouija board is a bad idea or sinister? I don't think it's sinister. I just don't like using them because... There's no real way to sit there and be like, okay, the conversation is over and done with. I'm moving on. Yeah. That's why I like using the obelisk because then I can sit there and be like, okay, this is your time to say anything that you want to say. And then I'm going to turn this off. And then they know that there's no other way to communicate with me unless they want to like speak through a recorder or something like that. We did an interview with a a paranormal network, Spun Paranormal Network. And in fact, I've got to thank them for the fact of how I got in touch with you because it was actually seeing a post that you'd done that they had liked because I was already contacted with them that I actually learned about yourself. So, But but they actually came on our show. I don't know whether you heard it and, and did an interview. And one of the things that they said was that they recommended that people don't mess with the Ouija board. And I think that part of that maybe is the fact that you know, it is something, as as you've just said there, that you're maybe teaching an entity a, a skill that maybe you don't want them to exhibit all of the time. But also that a lot of people are going into it. And I've seen some, and I know you've ranted about this on your blog, but there are some <laughs> uh, paranormal investigation TV shows, for instance, if you like, who will yeah. use tools like that with total i think disregard they will almost mock the spirits uh, have you have you found the same sort of thing yeah and my husband doesn't watch those shows anymore with me because i sit there and be like no you don't do it that way you don't do this why are you yelling at them it's <laughs> i can't stand them usually and i'm it, it irks me but if as a tv presenter or a journalist, you went out on a street somewhere to interview members of the public about a certain thing that you were trying to do, and you just berated them, none of them would want to come and talk to you because they would think, you know, I'm not going to speak to this person who's just disrespectful. You might get the odd person who walks past who's who's just as belligerent who says, right, I'm going to smack you for that, you know, but why would you treat a, a dead person or a spirit in that way? Why I, I don't understand it. And I don't think that they do the paranormal community, those people like yourself who, who take it seriously and respect, you know, what's on the other side. I don't think they do us any favours. They don't. And, I mean, that's why I'm trying to teach other people so that way they don't go out and imitate these shows and try and think they're Billy Badass going out there and screaming and provoking and they're just going to cause problems for the spirit. They're going to cause problems for whoever comes across that spirit later on. 
Um, do you ever watch Kindred Spirits? I don't know. And to be honest with you, I don't watch a, a lot of, I don't know whether that is a paranormal investigation show, but I don't watch any of them. We have a show over here called Most Haunted, which ruined them all for me. Oh, yes. No, 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 no. You need to check out Kindred Spirit. There's, style of investigating is very similar to my own and they actually have an episode that shows what happens when you have somebody coming in and provoking and whatnot and how it gets twisted into being called demonic and how it ended up being just a sweet little old lady who was tired of being cussed at by all these investigators that would come in there and things like that if you have the knocking you, you know, you were talking about Al knocking and all that sort of stuff on on the walls when you on and the your, no, when you and your husband had the argument and it was going up. But he doesn't have to knock anything or move anything. So I think what Bella's saying is, is how did he then progress from using that to then knocking the walls and? Because if you turn that box, you know, you were saying if you turn it off, then that's that gives them no other way to communicate. But clearly he he could yeah because he was making the knocking but i mean is that something that you maybe set sort of a boundary and said okay well that would want you to do that anymore you can knock you can whatever but you can't you know go sort of beyond that well we do have rules for our spirits and we also have rules for our guests when they come over in regards to the spirits um our spirits aren't allowed to scare us our guests or our cats. Um, they're not allowed to do anything to harm us. And at the same time, people who come over because they know we do live with guests, they're not allowed to provoke. They're not allowed to sit there and try and have them be like dogs doing tricks on commands or anything like that. I tell them if something happens while they're here, acknowledge it. Don't be rude. If you don't like it, just tell them that you don't want to talk to them right now. And our spirits will respect them. Unfortunately, they don't like our pet sitters that we've been having because we've been through three of them in the past few months. (laughs) How do you set the boundaries? Do you just say, I don't want you to do that? or It depends on the situation, but typically when I'm going into a new situation, the people are saying that it's an angry spirit or it's a mean spirit or they're calling it demonic or whatever. I go in there and I treat it like a person. Sometimes I'll bring a gift or something because from my Southern roots, you're not supposed to show up at somebody's house without a, a hostess gift. And I do the same for spirits because that's their home. That's where they live right now. And I'm just trying to show them that I mean no harm. I explain all the equipment that I have. If I have Al with me, I introduce him and Hopefully he does his thing. And I've never had something directed at me that was negative. They usually seem to pick up that I'm not there to harm them. I'm not like the previous people. Well, in a way, you're you're trying to be a bridge between them and the people that don't understand. So I guess maybe they would see you as some sort of, you know, almost like a counselor. <laughs> so, yeah. You're, you're yeah. a conduit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I let them know that I'm not there to kick them out of their house. I'm not, I don't do the cleansings to kick them out. If I do a cleansing, it's honestly more for the person because it makes them feel better. I don't do it to kick the ghost out of their house because that is their house. I just explained to them that 
they now have roommates and that they have to be respectful of the roommates. So as a pet owner, okay, and I'm not in any way likening spirits to pets, okay? I I don't, I'm I'm not going to be that disrespectful. But very often, if you've got an unruly pet, you know, a dog that doesn't come when you call it or whatever, it's not necessarily that it's a bad dog or it's the dog's stupid or whatever. Maybe it's the owner. So do you find that sometimes some people that are experiencing hauntings are maybe the ones that are causing it or at least exacerbating it? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's exactly like what you just said with the children and with pets. I mean, you get people in there that don't know what they're doing and they're just copying what they see or what they think they're supposed to do by spraying holy water everywhere. Yeah. But you may, if you have a Jewish ghost and you're sitting there trying to douse it in holy water, of course you're going to tick it off. You have to do things to appease them in their way. How do people in Japan feel about the hauntings? What's the culture difference between how they would deal with it there and how you guys would deal with it or, or we would deal with it? Our Japanese friends that we made over there, there's, ghost for every little thing i mean even the most random thing like there's probably a dozen different ghosts that haunt toilets in japan see you were Um, right bella (laughs) (laughs) um so they very much accept the fact that there are ghosts for everything and that they're part of everyday life and they have ceremonies and things that they do to appease them i mean um i don't know if you've heard of oban which is their week of kind of like the week of the dead or whatever they go and they clean up the the graveyards and they burn things or burn incense for them to appease the spirits. Right. No, I didn't know about that. Yeah. It's a big celebration. Um, I want to say it's end of July or beginning of August. It it reminded me a lot of, um, how Mexicans with the day of the dead. Yes. Yeah. So what kind of a gift would you give a ghost? It depends on what kind of person it's there. Um, usually if I know if there's a child, I'll bring candy or balls or teddy bears or a doll. If I know if it's a little girl or a little boy, um, if it's somebody older or an adult, I don't know. I've brought baked goods. I brought flowers. Um, Did they ever eat the baked goods? No, but uh, a few of them, if I know it's a guy that's or an older guy that's there, I'll take alcohol. And then occasionally we've uh, seen uh, shots of tequila suddenly disappear. Wow. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't need to be an old guy. I'd, I'd be, I'd, you'd turn your back and I'd, I'd take a shot or two, I think. <laughs> it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Where can people get hold of your blog where can they learn a little bit more about what you do um if you go to paranormalhousewife.com you can read about my blog and um all the other stuff that i have going on up there i know it's been a little quiet for the past couple weeks i just moved but i'm writing again and they'll be posted up as soon as thursday and are, are you still going around to different paranormal groups and still training them yes yes okay and what areas would you operate i'm willing to go wherever if they're willing to put me up (laughs) All right, so you might find yourself on a plane to the UK pretty soon then. (laughs) I would love that. That would be a dream. (laughs) Well, Lisa, it's been absolutely fantastic, like I said. And guys listening, 
really do check out this blog. It is really worth having a look at. And it's funny, I feel like a stalker sometimes when I'm reading it because <laughs> because you, you talk about what's going on in your private life and, and the move-in and everything that's going on as well and your mum meeting you at the airport and all that sort of stuff as well. So you kind of almost do get a little sort of window into, you know, what is going on in the background as well as all of the uh, the paranormal stuff that you deal with. So... From my point of view, I just want to say thank you very much. It is a fantastic blog and I enjoy looking at it and I enjoy some of the posts that you put out on Instagram as well. So I really do recommend people go and have a look at it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can thank call you yourself so much. a stalker, but I'm not a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. We now have our second guest for the show, Andrew Bennessy. He owns a video production and marketing company in Phoenix in Arizona, and at the time of the story, he was a news photographer in Dallas-Fort Worth. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the show. So, tell us all about this spooky story, then. All right. Well, I was a uh, news photographer in Dallas-Fort Worth for many years. Um, This story happened back in the 90s. Being a news photographer, I went all over North Texas and one of my favorite places was West of Dallas, Fort Worth and, uh, you know, get to see all these little towns, but there's one town called mineral wells. Um, it's only about 30,000 people, but, and, you know, run down typical, you know, past its heyday type town. But in the middle of town is this 14 story Spanish colonial, uh, hotel, uh, giant tower on it. <clears throat> it was just fascinating to me that this thing was sitting there. It's and it's all closed up. Um, you can see it for miles. But one of the things I like to do back in those days is do video essays on different types of architecture. There wasn't, you know, a, a classical architecture. There wasn't a lot of it in North Texas, but uh, you know, you see some stuff from the 20s and 30s. So I reached out to the uh, manager who worked directly for the owner, just for, just to make sure little things were fixed. Nothing big was fixed in the hotel. They, they just wanted to make sure there was a lot of vandalism, that kind of thing. So anyway, she said, great, come on out. So, um, went out and shot a really nice photo piece, met a lot of nice people, went through the, you know, the whole hotel. It just, you know, it was, it was just a great experience and really interesting architecture. I would, say anybody who's uh, interested in that type of thing, look up the Baker Hotel of Mineral Wells, check out the architecture. It's super unique. And if you like creepy, it's, it's very creepy. Oh, we like so, creepy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk about how sometimes uh, locations or, or buildings draw people in. I, I really uh, like that hotel. And I became friends with the, the uh, manager and a couple of people who were doing tours out there. And, you know, a month later, I was doing tours every week. I did it for three years. You know, I went out there every Saturday and walked people through the hotel. And it was cool. I mean, you know, you kind of have a, a little bit of ownership and pride. And it sounds almost like the hotel drew you in. It did. It did. It absolutely did. And it, I, the hotel liked me. I know that sounds weird, but I never had a, I never, well, and I'm, I think luckily for me, I've never heard anything. I've never heard anything. I've never seen anything, but I feel things. And I always felt like I was okay there. And, and I guarantee you there's stuff there. It's just, I think there's good and bad and maybe the good 
you know, outweighs the bad, you might say. So anyway, three years of doing tours. My last year, it was uh, in the fall, and the, one of the caretakers, they decided that they wanted to put Christmas lights up on this hotel, which is crazy when you think about it now because, you know, I mean, there was safety regulations and all that stuff. Uh, what we did was insane. So we strung Christmas lights from the top 14th floor all the way down to lobby level, which is at the second floor, just straight down. The The hotel is sort of in a, a muted V shape, so there's probably six strands of lights going straight down. So I was on, uh, when we did tours, we only did uh, a certain amount of floors, obviously could do them all. So I was on floors I normally wasn't on. It was a little bit creepy, you know, you walk along those you know, those long floors and, you know, you feel like somebody's going to be in the doorway. And was I remember hotel, saying to my, sorry, was the hotel actually open at all? Or it, it was strictly just to do tours that you were there? It was not open. Yeah. It will little, just a tiny bit of background. The Baker was open in 1929 to take advantage of the mineral water in mineral wells. Back in those days, that natural health craze was really big and people would go and or wealthy people would spend, you know, a month, you know, in the mineral water and all that kind of stuff. And they found lithium in the water there. So it made people <laughs> feel better. So that that's kind of what happened there. The Baker was this grand hotel. Um, but as that faded out, um, you know, the hotel ran down a bit. There was a military base there that kind of kept it open a little bit. And then it uh, kind of, petered out and it was closed in 1972 so it was it was very closed up and is it true that bonnie and clyde were in some way tied to this particular hotel you know i don't know if it's true it's a rumor right okay. uh, that they that they stayed there uh yeah or ate there before they uh before they went back to louisiana for their shootout mm-hmm. but uh, there's all kinds of rumors in those hotels and you know that kind of thing. But, but yeah, it was, a. I mean, this place was amazing. I mean, every Hollywood star from the twenties to the sixties stayed there. Presidents. I mean, it was a grand wow. thing and it's, but it's just so bizarre because it's really in the middle of nowhere. Um, but sadly in the, in the seventies, when it did close locals went in there and then they, they, they just took everything. Everything's gone. Even the fixtures, some of the larger ones are still there. But when I was out there, the lobby was still in decent shape. It's it was it was really pretty and and that kind of thing. But yeah, essentially it was nothing left. So I bet I bet you literally felt like you were walking through history then, in in terms of like you said, the people that have stayed there, the stars, the you know presidents, oh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. There's you know like a little ballroom where Glenn Miller played often and Marilyn Monroe wow. sang up in a there's a cloud there's a couple of cloud room up on the upper floors that uh it's like a grand ballroom with windows all the way around it where you know these stars would sing and dance and you know it's it's a, a lost a lost era definitely and and but it's when you balance that when you're there and you balance that history with how dilapidated it is, it's really creepy and you can really feel the vibe there, you know. Uh, and again, I'm glad I don't see it. I don't know if you guys are in tune with uh, spirits, but luckily I'm not. So that's a good thing. <laughs> We've had the odd thing happen, but I wouldn't say in any in any way that we are necessarily in tune or we certainly wouldn't call ourselves psychic or anything like that yeah yeah i mean i'm i get scared in certain places just i mean just like anybody would in dark 
you know, like the the basement in the in the baker just totally freaks me out. What things have those walls seen? Yeah, well, especially with those times I and mean, with the uh, prohibition and all that kind of stuff, and you just you have to feel that there's something left in places like that. It, you know, uh, it, and you're I mean, you think about it. You're in a, a hotel that's got 450 rooms, you know, three ballrooms, and there's me and another person in the whole place. So you know, it's it's the beginning of a, a horror movie every yeah. time you walk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so anyway. So we went through and, and uh, put the lights up, you know, and tied them all down. And it, it went, it was not a problem. I, somehow we got it all lit up and, you know, it looked, looked amazing. And um, I started dating a girl a couple of weeks before, you know, it's just a little different from the type I usually date. She's a little quieter, a little more introspective. And um, I was like, you know, I need to take her out there and show her this. This is amazing. I should show this off a little bit. So, and I've only been to the hotel a couple times at night and it's totally different at night. I mean, it, it just, it's a different vibe. It's like you're in somebody else's house for sure mm-hmm. at night. And, uh, the lobby, even though it was not the way it was in the twenties at night, you, it looked really cool because, you know, you didn't see the dust and, you know, some of the damage and stuff. It looked pretty close to the way it would have looked back then. So anyway, um, she says, yes, we go out and with mineral wells, you kind of, you're up high coming in. So you, you know, come around a little turn on the highway and there's the hotels just shooting up from the, the sky 10 and, miles and is away. It lit lit up. Up. Is it lit up now with oh, these yeah. Christmas lights? It is. So we can see it from miles away and it's like, oh, this is totally cool. And, you know, even then I had a little bit of a creepy feeling just because it's like I've never been here at 1030 at night. So this is going to be interesting. You know, I've got my two flashlights, but, you know, it's back in the 90s before LED. So, you know, (laughs) flashlights crash pretty easily so anyway the couple of my friends out there the other tour people turned the lobby lights on for me so i didn't have to go through that because uh uh, there was a the place the little room where the uh breakers were was really creepy and i again i'm a feeling guy and i just did not like that room and no restoration had been done in that room and it was kind of strange because it was off right off the lobby but it was in the same shape it had been in for 30 years and I did not like that room. So luckily they turned on the lights for me. So we, you know, we come in, I'm like showing around the lobby and I can tell she's a little nervous, you know, and, and it, I was too, but I wasn't gonna, you know, uh, You're show the man, it, you can't show it. <laughs> well, that, yeah, well, and I, yeah, when I had a ways to go here, so I showed her around. I mean, the lobby is amazing. It's got really uh, just humongous, uh, iron chandelier Spanish styling uh, and uh, plaster faces and you know uh, a little bit of UK and European history this thing was built by the Europeans I mean that was back in the days when the European craftsmanship was over here yeah it's a beautiful building so uh, so I showed her around a little bit and um, took her over the elevators which were original which is kind of cool hand crank you know with the art deco doors and all that kind of stuff so I don't know. Have you, I guess over there, you've probably seen hand crank elevators, right? Where you yeah. actually, yeah. So put her, put her in the elevator and this is where it gets kind of strange. So I decided since it was just me and her and, um, to see, you know, in the daytime, you can see the floors going by because you can see a little bit of light, you know what I mean? Under the doors, you know, but it's since 
nighttime, I was like, I'm just going to keep the doors open. And so, so I could see that the floors are written in the cement, you know, so I can see that way. And she gets in the elevator and I start going up and I look over and she is wedged as far away from me as she could possibly get. She's diagonal from me. She's good six to seven feet from me. And I was like, okay, well, maybe she's just uh, worried about the door being open or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, I kind of blew it off because I got other things to worry about because we're going up. And uh, I wanted to take her up to the top so she could see the cloud room and, you know, so we could see the lights from above and then see the city. And, and there's also a tower on top I wanted to see at night. I've never been up there at night. It's a, it's a huge tower. It's got 35-foot windows. So, you know, once you're up there, I mean, at night, it could have been really cool. So anyway, so it, it was a little weird. You know, I get her in the elevator and she's as far away from me as she can possibly get. So we get up to the cloud room. Oh, uh, each floor is, is marked in, uh, white paint, you know, one, two, three. And then when it gets to the cloud room, it's marked in red. And so I was just kidding around and I say red room, you know, red oh, room. Geez. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. Real, real shining moment. That's what I was thinking earlier. It sounds like the shining. Right. <laughs> right. So I say red room to her. She doesn't say anything back. All right. But she did tell me later that she didn't hear red rum. She heard murder. She tells me she had never seen The Shining. So, uh, you know, there she was, 14 floors up with uh, a guy she sort of knew who basically said murder. But even with all that, she uh, ended up stand really close to me once we got out of the elevator it, it, it to bring in the creep factor and i i, I didn't put this in the story or, or tell anybody this but there's no power anywhere above the mezzanine level so we're 12 floors from power so once you go out that door it's dark there's nothing i mean there's nothing and there's only way down is the elevator or some fire stairs that you didn't you know back in those days you do not want to go down those things so anyway so we go out into the dark and at this point she's on she's right on me i mean she's holding me now you know and i'm showing her around and you know i can tell that she's not uh totally enjoying this because i'm like this is the cloud room did you get the feeling then when you said she's holding on to you, she's holding on to you out of fear rather than, you know, we're on a date. This is a different feeling from her, was it? Yeah. She, something was up, but you know, I'm a guy and I had, my goal was the tower. I wasn't anywhere near the tower yet. So yeah. I just figured she was a little freaked out, but here I am telling her, you know, she's in the cloud room and I'm telling her all this stuff and I could tell that she, it, it wasn't sinking in, you know, she was ready to keep moving. So we do the, we do the cloud room. Um, and it is creepy at night. I'll, I'll give you that. But behind on this same level, the tower is access. So, uh, that's why I went up to the, to the top part. So we get done with that, the cloud room and to get to the to the, uh, to tower access, you kind of go back out by the elevators and you kind of go around to right and you go into a little, uh, the hallway really dark hallway. So we coming around this corner and at this point, you know, I, I could, I'm not stupid. I know something's up cause I'm starting to get, you know, my hair's sticking up a little bit, you know, my arms and, you know, but again, I really want to get to, to that tower. I wanted to see the, the skyline at night up in that tower. So we make that turn 
uh, to this dark hallway and we're only 15 feet from the door to the, to the tower access. And she jumps on my back. I mean, I, I don't mean like, like she pushed my back. She was full of off the floor on my back, almost knocked me over scared the crap out of me. And I, you know, I asked her, well, you know, what the hell is going on? And she said that she thought she heard something. And I think I heard something too, but, uh, she beat it to beat me to it because she was on my back, right? So anyway, she, she gets off my back, and I'm like, okay, we're almost there. Let's go, keep going, man. I got my flashlight. Let's do. Let's finish this. So, um, and I wasn't not having fun. It just, you, you know what I mean? It, it just yeah. wasn't totally real to me yet. I mean, because obviously it's going to be creepy. That's part of the fun of the whole thing, right? Yeah. yeah so. Definitely. So we get to the, the, the tower access and just to fill you in on the tower, the tower is not only creepy at night, it's creepy in the daytime. I mean, it's this, it's two levels. The first level has a water tank and all the, the, uh, elevator equipment and it's the elevator equipment. I swear to God is original. It looks like something from Frankenstein's laboratory. You can see <laughs> it work. So amazing. And it worked. I mean, it, back then it worked and it don't work anymore. But anyway, so in the middle of these two things is a, is a metal spiral staircase that uh, goes up to the, the next level where the tower is actually accessed. So I get her up to the the tower. We get about halfway up. I mean, our heads are at the level of the, where I need to be. You know, I'm only like 10 feet from the from where, you know, looking over the city and she stops me. And I I looked at her and I, and I could tell that she'd had it. She'd had enough. And um, it tells you that, you know, I didn't force it. I mean, I knew that it was time to go. Whatever was happening, we need to go. Yeah. We, you know, we come back out. Nothing happens. We get in the elevator. And, and again, remember, she's been on me, like stuck to me, right? Yeah. The whole time there. We get back in the elevator and she gets back in that freaking corner. She is wedged Why? away from me. I know, right? So, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Talk about mixed sort of messages to you. One minute she's on you, right. next minute she can't get far right. enough away from you. <laughs> right. It was all about this elevator. So we go down and we, we come out and, again, uh, uh, move on and, you know, decide to get some fresh air and we're sitting out on the steps. And I ask her, I was like, what, what is going on? What happened in there? And, you know, I wouldn't mad or anything. I was just fascinated because... I was spooked. I mean, I got to tell you, I was straight up. There was something going on. I was, wasn't a party to it. Uh, so I asked her and she flat out tells me that when she, when we went into the elevator to go up, that there were three people in the elevator. What? With us. Oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah. Right. A woman and two men and all dressed in, you know, she thought thirties or forties, you know, type clothing. They didn't, say anything they just were there and like again i didn't know her so i'm assuming that she was empathic in some capacity but she said that they knew me they i guess because i'd been there before they were interested in why i was there so late and that they were caretakers of the hotel and they were just interested in what we were doing and so so i guess they were around you and therefore she was stood in the corner is it possibly because apart from being scared, there's no room for her in the lift now. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. Wow. She wasn't able to stand next to me. She said they were, they looked real. They, they weren't, go they didn't look like, you know, what people would typically say a ghost would look like, which is super strange too. 
that she, that they were, but she knew what they were. She knew that I wasn't interacting with these things. So anyway, we go up, we go up to the top. They followed us all the way to the tower. And uh, this really creeped me out. The, when we went around the, to the tower access and she jumped on my back, she told me that what she heard was if somebody was floating and their toes of their shoes were on the cement dragging, floating, mm. that's what she Yeah. I'm like, holy crap. Because I did <laughs> hear something. But whatever it was stopped when she freaked out. I didn't hear anything else. But anyway, so she's holding on to me because they're obviously near us the whole time. So and they and they were waiting on the elevator when we when we were done and they they went down with us. Did you and, say that they followed you up the staircase? I mean up the elevator. Oh right. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, just the elevator up to the top into the tower and then uh, back down right. and you know and i have a feeling these people may have followed me before you know i mean i was yeah they could have been with you when you were doing your tours and everything couldn't they they could have been with you during the day it just took that one person who was maybe a little bit more sensitive to actually see them yeah right and i always got the feeling there that there is darkness there but maybe these things took care of me because they knew I didn't steal from that hotel. I didn't hurt anything and they were cool with me. So do you think then that maybe we're talking about a couple of different sort of entities? If you felt and she felt, as you said, that they thought or that they knew you and that they were there looking after the hotel, do you think that whatever happened up in the tower was maybe a different entity? No, I think she'd had it. She just had it. I don't enough. think she could <laughs> Her energy was coming even from just these people. And I mean, even if you took the ghost out of it, most people would not probably be able to go up there at night. I mean, it is, you know, if you, well, you know how when you get a group together and you spook them up and you take them into a dark building, they're going to freak out, you know, felt no, the the only reason I say the dark thing, I I, I could give you guys a different, another quick story if you want about the dark side. So after that, I, it was like, you know, how things begin and end. I, that was kind of the end for me. And, and it wasn't, I don't, it wasn't because of that incident. It was just, I outgrew it a little bit. And I, the hotel was becoming more dangerous. There were pieces of cement falling and stuff. And, and, you know, I didn't want to be involved in a tour where somebody got hurt. So yeah. I was just done. So about five years later, it's around Halloween, and I was trying to come up with a story that we could knock out for, you know, Halloween, or we we would have to cover regular news. So I was like, yeah, let's go out to the baker and do it. You know, I'd I'd seen about, well, about the time that in the mid-90s when ghost hunting sort of started up and people started, you know, doing their thing and all that. And I wasn't, you know, I don't totally buy a lot of the ghost hunting thing. I don't know if it's totally appropriate in some ways. So um, I've seen a, a newspaper article about a group that had gone out there and was claiming all this stuff, you know, and, and you know, I was there a lot. And I, it, it, there's a lot of provocation, and at least there was then with ghost hunting. And, yeah, it's not cool. It's really dangerous. So anyway, so I hook up with these people and get them out there and I'm interviewing this young guy, you know, you know, with a typical dark black shirt and the whole thing going on, you know. And uh, and again, and, and even then, I mean, I still felt like that hotel was a part of me. And, I, you know, I was a little bit protective and 
he wasn't buying everything he was selling. Let's put it that way. But he told me one story that I, that I think is that the people could get a lot out of. Um, there was a room off the lobby called the Rose Room, which was painted rose colored and rose colored glass mirrors and all this stuff. Back then, the the those days, it, they supposedly made women look prettier, <laughs> so they had the the rose colored uh, everything. Uh, it's a ballroom. It was for members only. It was very upper class, you know, normal people wouldn't be able to go in there. But the, the, the most, one of the amazing things about the room though, it had this nine to, I think it was a nine, 10 foot door. Again, European made, and you guys maybe see, see doors like this, but I haven't had, and I mean, it was, it was at least seven inches thick. It was just heavy, big Spanish door. Yeah. Thick door. I mean, you know, it felt like you were really going in somewhere, you know, when you went in through there. So he was telling me that, and, and, and I got creepy, it got some creepy vibes in the Rose room before, but again, you know, you, you do, I mean, it's a, it's an old building, but he, so he's telling me that they went in there and they were doing some investigation and, you know, provoking or whatever. And it, it, in the back of the room, they saw a, a dark, misty figure, you know, forming, uh, and it started coming towards them. So like, I think it's funny if something, you know, if you're going to look for something like that, don't run from it. I mean, yeah, that's what you're looking for, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing they did because they ran that door, slammed the door. The door doesn't lock it just latches and they said that something banged on the door just so loudly it just echoed all through the the uh, the hall of the lobby and the amazing thing about that is this door is so thick you you can't bang on it and really make any noise so this thing must have been super powerful and really pissed you know so uh if it's true it's kind of sad really that you know that that's what's been brought out by some people looking for things that, you know, maybe they shouldn't be looking for, but that means that that, whatever that was, is there. And, you know, was there most likely when I was there, but, um, you know, sadly now the hotel is in really, really bad shape and, um, it's, it's, it's kind of sad, but, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to see it and walk around and do tours in it and, you know, have a few experiences in it. I know this is a bit of a personal question. You don't have to answer it. How did it go with that young lady that you were with afterwards? Did did she kind of say, that's it for us? I'm, I'm not interested after that kind of experience or was everything okay? Did she kind of get over it and... Yeah, you know, when you're, I mean, when you're younger, I just, you know, life kind of runs you versus <laughs> <laughs> running life. Yeah. I, I think we still dated, but it, it her and I, it just wasn't, it just wasn't something that, would work she yeah. was a little bit too classy for me so right. <laughs> yeah but but no and what's interesting is when thinking back i don't remember i don't think i told many people about this i mean i really didn't i, I don't know i don't know if i thought people would think we were nuts or do you know what we were we were discussing this the other day that it, it almost seems like if you kind of mention to somebody especially when we're doing the podcast, you know, and they say, oh, you do a podcast, what's this on? And and we say, well, it's called the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast. Uh, most of the stuff that we're dealing with now is things to do with the paranormal, but that seems to have been more listener-led than anything we ever sort of planned. But it's it's more to do with the paranormal now, and they go, mm, yeah, you know, and you, they kind of, you know, almost turn their nose up at it. And then they say, mind you, this one time, you know. <laughs> right. So it, oh, I know. 
everybody has everybody. And you know what? It, even though I don't see things, I it it's I know it's around me all the time. I, I you just know, you know. I mean, I know that there are people around me. Thank you. Yeah, don't you don't see, see dead you, people. <laughs> right. You know, I think most of those people that are around are people that are here to help and, yeah. you know, care about you and, you know, want to make things better, better in your life. But, uh, but yeah, the paranormal is fascinating. I mean, I'm, you know, look at me, I, I've never seen anything, but I, I'm fascinated by it. I love the, these types of podcasts and, you know, it's fun to, you know, tell stories like this. I hope this story works for you. I hope I did. Okay. Okay. Explaining the weirdness of the hotel. Um, but yeah, when y'all get a chance, take a look at that video. It's very 1993, but that, that, uh, video won a bunch of national awards and stuff. And it just, because it's, it's different and, and, and you'll see the hotel like most people haven't. Would you mind us sharing the link to that YouTube oh, yeah. video that you've, Actually, is that all right? Yeah, sure, sure. Brilliant. And I could also, I, I can, uh, I found a, a link of somebody who, who'd been in there in the last month or two. You should see the lobby now. It's just destroyed. And it, and I know there's water damage, but the, the Art Deco elevators, they've gone in and knocked out all the panels. It's oh, just, no. you know, you know, the little thing, the little arrow that goes up for the floors and all that stuff has been taken. It's, you know, it's just de- destruction. I just don't get people, man. I just don't get it's, people. It's a shame that nobody actually tried to restore it, you know, to... Well, maybe they will one day. Maybe they will. Well, that's part of the white elephant situation with that hotel. It's too big. It was built for a certain time. They've been There have been probably 50 different developers who come through with plans it's just there's just there's no there's no profit in it so i there's trust me on that i mean they they, the last thing in texas is that you know they're trying to get gambling pass and they want to do like a couple floors and all this stuff but man you know you're talking about a beast of a hotel you've got to redo all the plumbing i mean in it's never going to happen. That hotel will stay that way forever it's just not going to happen that's a shame so, I mean, I mean, to give you an example of how no money's gone into when when you see that video, you'll see the lobby is in decent shape. The lobby has a flat roof on it. It sticks out from the hotel. And that's a, just a flat. I mean, that's a simple flat roof with tar and, and little rocks. Mm. They did the owners who are millionaires and, and it's, it's changed hands since then, since this guy. But they didn't even invest enough to just to just to do that roof. So that roof, when you see the video, well. Not that, not my video. But if you look up some more recent, there are holes in that roof now. And and it, I mean, what, what would a tar and some rocks cost to cover yeah, a roof? So yeah. it didn't damn that. But um, but anyway, I mean, I, it would have been fun to see at the time and see mineral wells. Uh, this is just an interesting fact that just the uh, highway that went out to mineral wells from Fort Worth was red brick. Oh no! So you can imagine being in an old car, <laughs> bouncing along on a red brick highway all the way to Mineral Wells, and some of that is still exists. You can see it in the town; it's kind of neat. But uh, one more quick fact: since I'm the tour guide, so this is, this is I think this is interesting as a architecturally. So they built 
the concept for the hotel, it was the first hotel to be built where all the laundry and rust or uh, kitchens and everything was done underground to where they could uh, not. So the people who were doing everything wouldn't be seen. It's kind of the Disneyland concept. So it's huge basement, you know, a bunch of elevators going up and all that stuff. But uh, so the Mr. Baker, the guy who built this hotel, had uh, is, had gone to California after the basement was dug and had seen the first in-ground pool, uh, and, you know, this is the 20s, in, the, uh, uh, in California at a, at a hotel. So this is, only, this is like a new concept, you know, in-ground, this type of thing. So it, because he really loved the concept, they, had, they moved the hotel made it taller so they would have space to put this pool in. Well, the pool sits in the under it's, you can go under it. It's in the basement. I mean, it's in, I mean, it's above ground, but the bottom of it, you can walk under it. It's super <laughs> down there. So they put the hotel over so he could have his pool. But yeah, I mean, it, it's the, the basement is, it's just amazing. Just so these are the, just the types of things that give you the idea. This is not a typical hotel. They had a, uh, a generator in there that was large enough to power the entire city. If there was a, a power outage, Jeez. that thing, I don't even, I didn't even like being anywhere near it. There's something, I don't know, something about big machines like that in the dark that just don't work for me. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, but all, I guess all that stuff is still, still sitting there. It's just uh, older and uh, probably has more mold on it. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much for your time. Really do appreciate it. Please do, I mean, stay in touch with us if you can. You know, if you get anything else that's come up that you want to discuss or or you just want to send your opinion in about something or just want to chat or whatever, just give us a shout. We're more than happy. All right. Yeah, I got I got one more story for you. We'll I'll send you uh, I'll send you that and take a look at it. We'll maybe we'll talk again. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks, Bella. It's nice to meet you guys. Thank you. Take it easy. All the best. All right. You too. Bye bye. Well, that was two interesting guests we've had today. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, we will actually put into the show notes information both about Kelly's blog and about the Baker Hotel that Andrew was telling us about. So do check the show notes. If you don't check them regularly, then it's worth having a look at because we do include all of the links of everything we talk about on all of the shows. So it really is worth having a look at that. But we've also got a favour to ask you. We are a little bit feeling our way with how we're going to take this podcast, whether we're going to continue doing our ramblings that that we've always done about the things that we're learning about and interesting about, or whether we do more interviews. So it'd be really interesting for you guys to actually send us your feedback to weirdwackywonderfuloutlook.com and let us know which way you prefer it. Do you prefer having the interviews on the show? Does that appeal to you more? Or would you prefer us doing what we always used to do? Let us know. And I would just like to say bye to Kelly, Al, Jeremy, and Andrew. Thank you for your time. Yeah, take it easy, guys.